Today on IFS Talks, we're very excited to speak with Fran Booth. Fran Booth is a social worker and certified IFS therapist, consultant, and trainer. She's been a clinician for more than 40 years. Her practice specializes in trauma, anxiety, depression, grief, cancer, and other medical concerns, binge eating, and attachment injuries. Fran graduated from Cornell University and Simmons School for Social Work. She's been immersed in IFS since 2005, and Fran served as a therapist in the seminal research study on IFS and rheumatoid arthritis. Recently, she's penned a chapter titled IFS Consultation, Fostering the Self-Led Therapist for an upcoming book on IFS and supervision. She has offered over 75 workshops for a variety of training organizations, spreading the word on parts work and IFS to the global community. Recently, she's been promoted to co-lead trainer for the IFS Institute. Welcome, Fran, and thank you so much for speaking with us today. I am so glad to be with both of you. Annabelle and Tisha, thank you for inviting me. Welcome, Fran. Thanks much for joining us. And many congratulations on your recent promotion to co-lead trainer. Thank you. So hearing your bio, friend, what parts come up for you today? Well, it's a lot to take in, to be honest. I, um, you know, I'm, I'm very excited about what's happening right now, having a chapter come out, being promoted to co-lead. These are big new steps and platforms for me. So um, there are parts that are just genuinely excited. There are parts that feel a little, wow, I did that. Uh, like I can sense a young one sort of feeling a young energy in that one. Wow, really? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But also I want to say proud. And of course, I also want to just say, to say that's been a journey, right? To give myself permission to do that because I had a lot of messages growing up about sort of not, it wasn't okay to be proud almost, or that that was, there were parts that had confusion about that. So um, yeah, I feel, I feel proud about what's come together in this moment. Will you share a little bit about what your journey has been like through um, becoming a social worker and, and discovering IFS? Oh, I, yes, I'd be delighted to. But I want to circle back, I, if I might, I, to add a little bit more to the bio, because I did want to name or sort of talk about um, a kind of evolution in bios that's happening in the larger IFS community. And one of the things that I've been doing more regularly now is adding to sort of that more formal academic bio uh, the following, which is that I'm a cisgendered heterosexual woman of Irish, Catholic, and then German descent, largely influenced by the Irish Catholic side, which my mom's dad, parent, both parents were first gener- were immigrants. So my mom was first generation, mm-hmm. I was second mm-hmm. generation. And both parents had 
significant trauma histories that were really unprocessed in their lifetime. And, you know, we're now, I now am introducing myself that way in trainings. Um, and it is part of a larger shift, I think, in the field in general to be more open, self-disclosing, um, more acknowledging of my own privilege where it shows up, more acknowledging explicitly that we are shaped by our cultural influences and our family of origin, and that that may color our work Absolutely. as uh, in the office, and that we're holding awareness of that, and there is an implicit then on invitation, if it's getting in the way in any way, let me know. <laughs> so the whole bio thing, and I know that you mm -hmm. you will often say, what are your parts? You know, what parts do you notice? And it has been a journey yeah. internally to also name all of those parts of me, to name, um, you know, that there was, there's a trauma history in my family. It bumps right up against messages. This now ties into your question, Tisha, about what of my own journey, you know, the Irish Catholic influence were messages around don't, don't air your dirty laundry was the expression, right? Uh, don't tell the family okay. secrets. And so even just naming trauma in the family would have challenged my parents sort of uh, way of being sort of some of their own parts. So I had to do some, you know, internal work just, just to uh, get comfortable and clear to even to add those pieces to my bio, which I do embrace now as part of who I am. Very welcome. I really appreciate that, friend, because it acknowledges that we carry so much legacy with us, especially you know as you enter those trainings and those teaching experiences that you have. Yeah. Um, so thank you for sharing that, and I'm I'm glad that that's being included, and everyone can can access their own history by you naming what you bring forward in your bio. That's the hope and the wish that it's, it's an invitation. And it reminds me of the other pieces, just acknowledging that I'm speaking to you today on, I'm on the land that was originally Narragansett and um, some other native indigenous people. I'm here in Rhode Island. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. And when and how did you, friend, became involved or came across with the IFS model? Oh, that's a that's a, always a fun story and a great question. And you know, like lots of people come alive when you when you're asked that question because, like many people, when it finally was there, there was like this big yes inside of me. But of course, that was the the preamble is important. So I was, you know, very psychodynamically trained here in the greater Boston area, went to school mm -hmm. here and, and was immersed mm -hmm. in really, I want to say, sort of rich, a rich training and, uh, you know, ongoing clinical supervision for years as I was in my own solo private practice in the 80s. And but there was like like every tradition, there were heirlooms and burdens. Right. So the heirlooms were, yeah. you know, how to listen. And that meant how to listen to what was being said and to what was not being said, what was not available, but was present. 
um, but also how to pay attention to the moment to moment unfolding and you know so there was those were but the downside those are some of the heirlooms but the downside was uh, there could be that kind of hierarchical sense or a sense of judgment and a pathologizing and I what I love about IFS is that we've really sort of let that that go um, but during that whole t- journey is and living as a more psychodynamically influenced clinician I was always interested in learning and exposing to to new things so I was involved in the 80s I was running groups for uh, folks living with AIDS mm. um, later I in the late 80s I was involved with John Borsenko at the um, original sort of mind-body clinic they were John Borsenko wrote the book it came out in 87 my Minding the body, mending the mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, it was really the precursor to the ACE study. I mean, it was a seminal research. Herbert Benson was on the you know staff at the Harvard Medical School, and looking at that, oh, isn't this interesting? These cardiac patients, if you if you actually help them re- release what he then coined the term relaxation response, they actually had better outcomes. They lived longer. So. It was the, you know, uh, uh, the interface of the mind and the body really exploded there. Um, and then, of course, now the ACE study has uh, that large longitudinal study looking at the role of and the interface between trauma in childhood and the onset of medical disease over the course of your life. So I was fortunate enough to be the staff assistant to their groups and, you know, was working with Joan Borsenko and running their like six, eight week groups uh, in downtown Boston. So that was, you know, I was already leaving in that moment. It was like in the very beginning of that, it was sort of like, do I tell anybody that I'm leaving this very psychodynamic approach, very cognitive approach, and I'm actually interested in all of this other stuff. And there was this feeling like I, it was kind of a secret in the beginning. And of course, that's all changed. But um so I was doing that, and I was also in the '90s began exploring. Um, I did an immersion training in something that was called at that time wave work. It no longer exists, and it was a mindfulness-focused, uh, body-focused uh, practice. And it was a three-year training. I was going out to the Kripalu Center, which is a large mm-hmm. holistic training center in Western Mass. And um, immersing in this protocol, which now with IFS, I understand it was this really a beautiful way of bringing a mindfulness body focused practice. So you would lie fully clothed on a massage table and just presence the body, just bring compassion and attention and awareness to the body. And it had a minimal we were minimizing, you know, cognitive processing. It would then naturally, we would say in IFS, it would naturally unblend storytellers or parts that thought they knew what was happening, sort of knew what this was about, Mm -hmm. you know, parts that were kind of going ahead of things to explain, um, thinking parts that figure things, need to figure things out and be in control. All of those parts that I, my system was heavily dominated by and had been both, uh, uh, 
trained to also use those parts, right? The analyzing, thinking, you know, figuring it out. Like that was, you know, figure it out and try to have the best insight, right? And just drop into the body, presence what's ever happening in the body. And if you do that, there's a sort of gentle unfolding. The, your attention will just go to, to what needs attention. And in the beginning, it might just be a tight muscle and your body will soften and then you go somewhere else and the body will soften. But ultimately, then you're going to end up presencing body-held trauma, which we would know. The, the woman who did this training, her name was Daya Shatke. She had trained a lot with Peter Levine. So a lot of that work where, you know, stored energies just needing the space, just wanting to release. And if you create the space, that energy is going to move. And it was also like similar to IFS. It was a, we, it was a coach model, i.e. you're coaching someone as they're working with their system. So that sense that of being whispering in their ear as they, as they are in their own process mm -hmm. was very parallel. And essentially you're working with parts and you're working, finding the yeah. path towards wisdom. And then you would drop into this very powerful embodied state of self energy. And which would feel like this, you know, vibrations or just aliveness might. And so I was like, blown away. My cognitive parts were blown away by this experience and didn't really have language for it, just knew I loved it, right? And I loved it to experience it and I loved facilitating it. But then what that was sort of the late, you know, early 2000s and was sort of like uh, around that time, I actually joined the staff of a cancer center, which, which was a complementary care cancer center. Mm -hmm. We were had massage and acupuncture and we, I was running meditation circles and workshops and uh, running groups for people living with cancer. And I got to do this practice because we had massage tables there and I could bring this practice there. So I was bringing this practice there, but I wasn't bringing it into my psychotherapy practice. And I was like, how am I going to do this? And then one day it was in 2004, one of my consultees came to me and handed me Dick's, you know, psychotherapy networker article, the larger self. And she says to me, this seems like you. And like, oh yeah, who is, what is this? The larger self. And, you know, I, you know, immediately, you know, figured out, got on the online, who's this guy and where is he? And how do I how do I go to a training? And the next thing you know, I'm at a one day. And the next thing you know, I'm on the Cape. And the next thing you know, I'm in a level one. So, and I feel that IFS really does, it's this comprehensive paradigm. So that so much of what I learned and studied and was practicing can fit under this large umbrella and be held. And that you can bring this understanding of, listening oh is that a part is that a protector is that an exile oh what how might self show up even if it's in the body even if it's subtle just noticing this simple but profound frame of parts protectors and exiles and self energy and being able to see it however it shows up
was there was there something in you or in your life experience that opened you up more or predisposed you to working with the body to doing that wave work training necropalu you know probably the most honest answer to that is my own seeking my own wanting my own uh personal growth needs wanting to find some other ways to heal and exploring you know i was doing traditional talk therapy but also then exploring this other you know looking to explore other ways to heal and you know came into this experience and then you know dove into that um for both personal healing and then as well as trying to offer it so yes that i you know i spoke to it it's really knowing i've had such strong cognitive managers and the what happened when we i didn't know that's what that we were relaxing them or just dropping out of them or finding a way to drop out of them but now i know that's what it was and i do have parts that want to say if i hadn't done that you know i think i would have found ifs still harder to to believe or trust because those cognitive parts were so are so strong yeah um, yeah makes sense Friend, we understood you have currently different areas of clinical interest, like direct access with tough protectors, direct access with exiles, also a continued interest in bringing the body into the work, the importance of attunement, rupture and repair, and also the role of the therapist. Where should we start today? Should we dive into direct access today? I mean, that's, that's a great place to start. Um, you know, I've been assisting at the trauma training, both with initially was with both Frank and Dick, and then now with Frank for, for many years. And that's a big focus in that training, getting comfortable doing direct access. And the, the training focuses on it with tough protectors, because that is where you're starting when you're sitting with someone with a lot, a lot of trauma history, you're going to be meeting those really tough protectors. So we, we do a lot of uh, emphasizing of it. I think I'll say a couple of things about that, but then I really want to say a few more things about also working with exiles, because okay. one of the things I want to say that doesn't always get explicitly said in the trauma training, which is when we say you got to work with those tough protectors, what we really mean is like multiple sessions, many, maybe many times in explicit direct access. Like, like it's not a one shot deal yeah. um, with many of those protectors. And sometimes I think the trainings can, people can walk away thinking it's supposed to be fast or quick. And then what am I doing wrong? So I like to say that because you're not doing anything wrong And these protectors were really, really need a lot of attention and explicit direct access, meaning the therapist drops into totally appreciating them and believes it. It has to be authentic, like really wanting to understand why they do what they do and understanding that they may not want to shift and giving them the control. Okay, if you don't want to shift, I totally get it. And let's keep talking so that you're staying in the relationship because the relationship starts to matter. That's that the protectors feel the self energy 
you know, they feel the sense that you care and respect them. And then that's going to be what gives them a little bit of, all right, I'll give it a shot. You know, I'll just relax a little bit. So I think I've, you know, what I've watched and, you know, what you do the training, but then you're also doing consultation and you're doing your own therapy work and you're watching what happens. So what, you know, you've, you've set up an internal self-depart connection. The client is working with maybe their tough protectors, but of course what happens in the office is that all of a sudden that's changed and that part is now fully blended. And that's when you want to be able to just comfortably just step in. Oh, that's just what happened. Oh, that protector's fully here. Let me just jump right now as the clinician. I've got my IFS hat on. Let me just jump into direct access with this protector. But of course, the same thing happens with the exiles, right? You're doing, you might be either facilitating mm-hmm. an internal piece of work um, and the clients with their either protector or maybe even with their exile. But all of a sudden, the exile, what happens in the next moment in the office? I just want to sit in your lap. <laughs> yes. Right. Anyway. So what's just happened, right? So that exile's just got blended and it just said, I just want to sit in your lap. And what's the next move? Oh, you're here. Mm-hmm. The little one's here. Sounds like she's she or he's here fully, or they is here fully. Well, let you're welcome. I want you to know you're welcome. Of course you want to sit in my lap. That makes so much sense. Tell me more about why you want to sit in my lap. So in that moment, you just comfortably, easily move into direct access with the exile. Now we know that, so we want to do what we do with protect. We want to validate. So you say, of course you're here. Of course you want to sit in my lap. Tell me more. Now the therapist has got to work with their parts. Like a ton has to have ha- to be able to do that fluidly, comfortably, and staying in self, i.e. my parts aren't getting activated. Can I say to that little one, genuinely, of course you want to sit on my lap. Tell me more. And not and know that I'm not fostering dependence in a way that's unhealthy, which would have been like, you know, that lens. You've got to know what you're doing, but because what you're doing is validating the longing for that. So you're going to try to have the part say, I want that. That's what I needed. You're going to, because that's what they needed back then. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be able to validate. You did need that back then. Of course, you needed more of that back then. And of course, it makes you feel like you need it right now. I really get that. So you can be, you can be addressing the longing underneath and the unmet need underneath without shaming or distancing. Um, and then at some point we're working on this. We're going we're gonna to help you with that. Would you be willing to pull your energy in and off and let Tisha be with you again or mm. Annabelle be with you again so that you can, that, so that they can let you know how important that wish or that need is inside of you, right? So you're going to, you're going to, you know, move to somewhat quickly sort of return to the internal self-part connection, Mm -hmm. but you're going to meet the moment fully with embodied self-energy, understanding the moment, what's happening here. So it sounds like there's, there's a really um, attuned tracking 
when you're working with direct access with the challenging protectors, the exile comes through and you are you're there with the exile as you would be with your own exile from self-energy. But then there's a softness in transitioning the self to exile relationship right. back to the client. Yeah, the model's still right. You know, that the ultimate healing is that internal connection with those little ones. And it's the moment to moment shifting that can feel unexpected, that can throw people off what just happened. And that's just what happened. That little exile broke through and said, I want to sit in your lap. And now you want to just like help facilitate the return to the internal self to exile connection, but to do it in a way that's honoring and welcoming of that moment rather than getting um, you know, managerial, I guess, about it. Or hmm. does direct access with exiles? Does it ever get tricky in a way that um, might be helpful for listeners to be aware of? I mean, I think that's that you were speaking to what could be tricky, like to hold the awareness that you want to be naming that this the energy of wanting to be held is actually from the injury of not being held enough. And so that's, so it's not, you're, you're not validating that, that they, and you're not saying sit in my lap. You're not saying sit in my lap. You're saying, I understand inside the wanting to be held. And that, that, and that you actually did need more of that when you were little. Right. So it is important to name the root. I would say where the root injury is. Um, and the system just receives that because that is sort of one of those truths that we know, like that it's that injury that's that's showing up in this way right now. So we want to name that injury. You did need more holding then back then, of course, that's what you're feeling. You needed more and you did need more because the exile is lost in the history, lost in the past. And it it's activated. I need more holding right now. That's what I need. Right. So, yeah. So it can, it's important to understand what's happening, I guess, to have you. So there is a clinical frame. Um, and, but once we understand that and we get that and we've relaxed our parts, I'm not saying it's okay to sit in my lap and I'm not saying sit in my lap. I'm not, we're not, if we were in the office, you know, I'm not saying you can sit in my lap. We're not doing that. And I'm not going to do that. Um, but I can totally validate the longing and wishing and wanting that. Okay, so why, in your opinion, is explicit direct access usually so scary for many trainees? You know, that's a really great question. And I've thought some about that. It's probably complex and it's probably there's personal parts for each person, what that might be, what I think that's probably the best answer. But it is a return to how do I use myself? How is the therapist showing up? directly because what you know dick brought 
with the IFS model is this internal connection. And there was that, and there is some initial relief about, oh, thank goodness, I don't have to have all the insights. I don't have to be so, you know, figure it all out. I can trust a client system and there's beauty in that. But I think there can be parts in each of us as therapists that might feel, might be more comfortable staying distant, right? So maybe our own healing around what about really being close, what it might touch into what still needs attention in the therapist around, is it okay for me to be needed? Is it okay? What comes up for me to be this intimate um, or to be this close? And what parts of me still may need attention that either want that, long for it, or, or, you know, shy away from that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So it's about therapist parts, right? Yes, I think ultimately. And uh, would you say there are major differences in doing direct assess with tough protectors versus or exiles? I mean, maybe just understanding what's driving the behavior. Yes. And when should we invite a part to an explicit direct assess? When it shows up. It, <laughs> well, or yeah, well, when when this when the when the inside work is either not possible, right? So you can't even get in. Now you know you're talking to a protector because you know the you can't the and then when when the insight, i.e. the client's internal self-energy has been working internally, and then all of a sudden it stops. Then you're right in that moment, something has shifted and there's either a confusion or a, some kind of a block that has terminated the insight process. And now you're in direct access. Oh, what just happened? Something just happened. Oh, let me see who's here now. Can I, can I speak to what part just might have shut you off or took you out or said no more? Or, yeah. Stop that internal process. So either in the beginning when you're you're just setting up clients you're talking to protectors are are they willing and able to go a client to set up that internal um self depart connection or then when that's been happening for a little while and the process gets stopped those are two big ones there's probably more but yeah absolutely do you ever find that protectors react or um come in after you've been doing direct access with exiles and how do you work with that? Uh, that's interesting. You know, this, that would be about somebody's internal system. So when that, that little exile inside sort of broke through the protectors and maybe those, maybe there's a team of protectors that your client, you've been helping your client get to know, there might definitely be one that hates that exile. And hates whenever it shows up, right? Those that in trauma system that mm -hmm. that would be common to have parts that hate any vulnerability. So right. and there you've engaged with it, yes. and seen it, and then now that one might show up and either be yelling inside the client, um, or yeah, it, so either yelling or maybe say might say something out loud to me, but. Um, that's I you know I actually haven't had that happen as much as it sounds, seems like it might, um, but typically you're trying to have identified what is the cluster of parts that don't want to allow access, and the client would have had maybe some beginning getting to know that kind of a tough protector that would really object to that. 
And Frank, do you believe that this tool, Direct Assess, is a good tool to work with those parts that play a role in ruptures and 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 the alliance during the work? Right. I have to think a little bit more about that, Annabelle. Um, you know, the ruptures. When I'm thinking about rupture, um, or even you know, rupture, even I'm trying, I was trying, I've been trying to find a word that doesn't make it even that big, like misattunements, like part of what I am thinking about is how to normalize mm -hmm. and depathologize ruptures and, you know, de-shame. Cause I think that what IFS has brought is that whole, we have all have parts. We do our damnedest to get our own parts to soften and relax so that we can show up with the best amount of self-energy possible in the office, but we have parts and our parts can show up. So when I'm thinking about rupture and repair, I'm mostly thinking about, or been thinking about it from that lens. Are my parts interfering in some way in the therapeutic relationship? And then how do I own that? So what amount of self-disclosure is appropriate? How to do it? Um, And the importance of doing it. And what I feel like I'm almost now on a little kick around looking for even small moments to, to build the, or to give the message. I want you to be telling me if I say a word or if I seem to be emphasizing something that doesn't feel quite right or doesn't feel like where the emphasis belongs, like really inviting the client to be sort of correcting me, sort of making the attunement really uh, accurate, really sometimes I'll say exquisite attunement so that if you keep inviting the client to be letting you know, you know, that word wasn't right, or you said this and that wasn't quite it, or then you're, you're again, you're doing so many things that I think are so important, which is making the relationship more collaborative, acknowledging that I might, I have parts and that I might not be hearing it. In, in just the right way, you're wanting the to sort of out, so to speak, parts in the client that might want to please me or be uh, tentative about correcting me. Um, just as, that's when I'm thinking about attunement, misattunement, repair. How do I own parts of mine got in the way? Um, yeah, so. so I haven't thought about it so much from the direct access lens, more around the relationship and the importance of paying attention to my parts. Are they relaxed? How did they showed up? Um, you know, for example, this is maybe a clearer example. Like sometimes when you're not having access in a, in a system uh, and the client seems to not be able to build or stay in having their own self-energy, that's what's happening building a connection with their own parts internally. So there's some, you're kind of getting stuck. And sometimes it's really because you haven't met all of the major players. Sometimes some, some big protector parts might still be more hidden. And then when yes. they, you know, so you can ask that question, which is a lovely, is there anybody who's really important there? We actually haven't met. And then sometimes when that happens, you know, what I can say, you know what we really, We, we didn't listen for you and we didn't invite you. And you might have sensed in me parts that were maybe pushing or, um, you know, even other protectors that are really tough and don't want to relax. Like sometimes just using 
you might have sensed in me some parts that were kind of pushing past you too quickly or didn't really recognize how important you really are. Um, and I want to really acknowledge and own those parts because, and then when I say that, I can feel like even just in this little moment, a tiny bit, but, but when I'm doing that live in the office, I can feel my whole system actually drop into a genuine, I am really sorry about that. You are important and we missed it and we were rushing past you. So I'm so glad you're here and I want to be with you. So I'm using, in that way, I'm using direct access, but you're, it's to that part. It's to that traumatized system. It's an apology. Um, yeah. So all of those pieces come together mm -hmm. in that Makes kind sense. of a moment. Yes. I'm, I'm just appreciating you and uh, appreciating the, the, the nuance of self-awareness and connection with clients. And there's a curiosity in me to understand your um, psychodynamic training and how that plays into this self-attunement and connection, if at all. Well, I appreciate your reflection. Thank you. And I think some pieces of me, one is and a, a high value, which is knowing your own. We have the high value in IFS, knowing one's own system and the worthwhile exploration of attending to knowing one's parts really well because that and that is both from the psychodynamic world as well as the ifs world that the importance of this piece my own what i bring who i am my parts and my self-energy understanding them my own capacity to be with them and to soften them um and then being willing there is a kind of being courageous and showing up and being connected being willing to be that connected so I would say it's both um, early psychodynamic and also IFS that has allowed me that comfort with then seeing the moment-to-moment -moment movement and shift and showing up in each new moment. Who's here in me and who's here in the client and what's happening now? Like, am I, is my part talking to this new moment? How do I relax that? And this, what's happening in the client? We just shifted and now they're exiles here and now they're protectors here. Fran, another topic of your clinical interest is the role of the therapist. Do you want to speak for this topic? How, how do you find the role of therapist relevant? I think that's what I'm, you know, what we're addressing that. Uh, who I who I am, how I show up, um, what are my parts, what's my comfort with my parts and my loving, you know, loving my protectors, loving my exiles so deeply and embodying mm -hmm. that, yes. um, I think is part of what I bring and what I feel passionate about is important as clinicians, uh, that that flavors and colors uh, work with our clients. Um, but it also flavors and colors how quickly we can unblend. You have moved into this new promotion position of co-lead. Uh, how has that been? What's that like to co-lead trainings now? Well, my first one will be this fall. In fact, that's all administratively just getting set up. So I'm just the uh, I haven't had my first gig, as we would say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but I'm excited. And uh, I've done a lot of uh, teaching, you know, one-day seminars on IFS in a wide variety of settings. Um, and so I feel like all of that has, I've definitely grown in confidence and skill and comfort. I enjoy, um, I enjoy thinking about how to teach it creatively. Uh, so I actually have a part that sort of, you know, I use video and just video off of YouTube as well as sessions, clips, how to, how can we teach some of these concepts, concepts creatively? Um, I enjoy sort of engaged in the Q and a, like where, where, where are you wrestling with something and let's, let's wrestle and figure this out. I mean, I, so all of that, that I, I enjoy leading the guided meditation. So those skills I've really been doing in a lot of different, in the one day seminars, and I'm looking forward to bringing all of that in the ongoing trainings. And is this new, this, this training you're starting, is it online or are you in person yet? Yeah. So the, this one will be fully online. All of the ones that they're still going to be scheduling for the end of this calendar year will be online. And then I think in 2022, they're going to start with some hybrid, some that will stay all online. And then I think they're going to have some in person. So those new trainings are getting planned right now on the back end um, administratively, and they're going to be unrolled over the next months. Mm, I think it's exciting. Yeah. So, Fran, what's coming for you in the future? You have just spoke for this new journey of yours as a co-lead trainer. And also, recently, you have been writing a chapter titled IFS Consultation, Fostering the Self-Led Therapist, for this upcoming book on IFS and supervision. It's exciting. Yeah, it is. Thank you. Yes, um, um, the book is due out next calendar year. Uh, there's still, you know, it's after you finish your chapter, there's still plenty more that has to happen on backside. So um, I think the chapter let me try to say some of what I've been sharing with you that I feel is important, sort of the, you know, the importance of understanding our own parts. And, and a lot of consultation often is helping a therapist unblend from their own parts so that they can then show up in the office differently. So mm -hmm. uh, that's a lot of uh, the consult. That's some of what I do in consultation. Um, some of the other consultation things that I'm doing that are really fun right now are like serving as a, I mean, basically sort of doing short-term consultations where people come with, there's a, um, a therapy that's sort of in a crunch place. Paul Russell was a very well-known psychodynamic um teacher here in the greater Boston area he wrote a paper called the theory of the crunch. So when there's a kind of the kind of a moment, it's sort of the moment in the therapy and base and what's going on there, how to, how to understand the crisis in a therapy as an opportunity. And I have had the pleasure and the privilege of being in a few uh, cases where um, that, that, exploration where the therapy it feels like the therapy might be in a crisis and to then have a chance because basically what ifs brings to all of that is just okay let's unpack this okay it's just basically a bunch of parts that are getting 
activated both inside the therapist and inside the client. And let's see whether we can open it up. And maybe this crisis might actually have a resolution towards repair. So um, I love that IFS has, you know, gives us that frame so that rather than have a, because often what the crisis is the moment, is the opportunity rather than the rupture, which can end a therapy. So I got that from my cyberdynamic training, that op- seeing the, the, a crunch. In fact, I worked for a while in an inpatient psych unit in the early days when actually inpatient psych might have been, there were six-week stays, and you we would often see a crunch in a therapy and an ongoing long-term therapy. And the um, the unit had a little specialty around offering consultation to therapies that were in a crunch. So the idea that I'm that uh, we can solve those crises and that something, you know, there's something's being reenacted in some way, something's coming alive. If we can just sort out all the parts, it could shift towards growth. So that's been a fun little something I'm excited about. Um, yeah, I mean, just, you know, doing more of the teaching and trainings I'm excited about. Um, and, you know, I feel, I do feel like some of the things, you know, the opportunity to write a chapter, you know, just came to me. I, I hadn't gone looking for it. So there might be other opportunities that just come that are, that, uh, that I can say yes to. So being open to what, what is unknown, what might still come is also, uh, you know, is exciting for me as well. So, friend, such a journey yours and such a joy to talk to you. Thank you so much for sitting with us and focusing such relevant clinical topics. Thank you for all the sharings and wisdom. It was a joy to be here with you and Tisha. And we hope we can keep meeting and sharing this model, our work and our lives. Thank you. Really lovely to be with both of you. Thank you for this opportunity. And I really actually do so appreciate what you're also bringing to the larger world in this format. So thank you to both of you. Thank you, friend. It's been wonderful to speak with you today. As well. Look forward to more conversations.